The podcast you're about to listen to is part of the Professional Casual Network. To find more podcasts like this, please check out professionalcasual.com. The Professional Casual Network has gear. Check out teespring.com slash store slash professional casual for fresh new swag. A huge shout out to our sponsor, beardeddragongames.online. Pick up all your local game store goodness from Magic the Gathering, Dungeons and Dragons, Pathfinder, or Wafurp 4th Edition, as well as terrain, paints, board games, comics, and more. Make sure to use code PROFESSIONALCASUAL at checkout for free domestic shipping or PCME10 for 10% off your total order at beardeddragongames.online. Also, a special thanks to Built Bar for sponsoring the show. To get 10% off your order and to help support the show, use code PROFESSIONALCASUAL at checkout or use the link in the show notes. So, hey, make sure you stop me if you've heard this one. I really love the way that the Earth rotates. You could say it makes my day. gentlemen this is your host d to the d dr d reaching out through the supervision free source of infinity interfacing i am joined today by my partner infinity b to the t brady t how's it over there in the universe of oppressive aliens brother uh, you know when i fight authority uh, the authority always wins unless it's so 12 and then you know i do pretty good i was gonna say every time you fought me you've only got a tie which is only the one game it's not a great track record <laughs> All right, so today on arachne we are going to be talking about the lore of o12 and more specifically bureau Toth is how you say it. Yep, just say it with a lot of confidence and we'll keep going. But first, we'll say a lot of ads with a lot of confidence. You see, I want to say Bureau Thought, and that's a completely different thing. Don't don't say that. Arachne is a part of the Professional Casual Network. If you would like to support the network, please sign up for our Patreon or purchase some hot swag on Streamlabs.com, Professional Casual Network 1. You can buy our shirt. It is kind of making its way around, and I've seen some people wearing it, which is amazing. We are also sponsored by Frontline Gaming. would love if you used the link in the show notes to go purchase tickets for any of their events coming up, and it does really help us out. The next event is the SoCal Open, October 21st through the 22nd. There are no listed Infinity events, but again, following that link for any of the events will help us out. We would also like to announce the upcoming Everwinter on December 9th to the 10th in Boston areas, the Weston Waltham, Boston. It's run by our friends Wicked Dicey. Actually, ironically enough, I'm going to be playing one of the people that runs it in Infinity here pretty soon, which is awesome. I personally am sponsored by Monument Hobbies. I absolutely love their paints and I always want to tell everybody to use the code Professional Casual in caps when you go to their checkout and you'll get a sweet discount and you will very specifically help out me and professional casual in general and of course we can never forget our sponsor mr laser at mrlaser.square.site brady some stuff has happened since the last time we hung out staring at each other while we talked there's been a world campaign dude launched today it sure did the time of recording it launched literally today i will say i keep wanting to say shatterpoint really bad it is, in fact, not Shatterpoint. It is Shatter Grounds. Don't make the same mistake I keep wanting to do because I can't pronounce things correctly, apparently. 
It is very similar to the previous one, Duragama Takeover. That was the last one that happened roughly a year ago, if not pretty close. It looks like the infrastructure on the website's approximately the same. What do you think, Brady? You didn't actually do the campaign, did you? So this is my first time going to be doing a uh, Infinity event or campaign like this. I'm pretty excited. Uh, I like that it's a shorter you know campaign. I think it's three weeks or so. So I'm not having to worry about this really long. It's it's the thing I don't like about campaigns when they're going for like four months, six months, and just like I want to be able to do other games and do all these things. So I like that it's like three weeks, some unique, interesting missions. Uh, I'm really excited for it. I've done Warhammer ones in the past, you know, when 8th edition launched and when 10th edition launched, they both put out campaign or 10th of the mini campaign. And I, I, I find it fun. Uh, I like when the game designers, you know, release some interesting narrative style missions to just sink your teeth into and then play it once or twice. And it doesn't matter if it's balanced. Just have fun. I will say the missions are always very goofy. I guess, I guess, I don't know, sometimes I, I don't think it matters all that much, but then some of the ones I've seen very quickly when I looked at the document this morning, like the aquatic parachuting one is pretty fun. It's pretty interesting. That's kind of funny because you can have a squallow just appear on the side of the, <laughs> the side of the board. You're like, oh, that's, that's, that's nice. So, I mean, take it with a grain of salt. If you're doing the campaign for fun and just, just help out your faction, you know, have fun with it, but I would, I would don't take it too seriously if all the weapon swicks turn into 0.5 for missile launchers and stuff like that. <laughs> don't, don't, don't take it too personally. You know, this is the time to try hard. This is the time to try as hard as humanly possible. Only av- come on, combined army, only avatar lists, uh, only Sheskin avatars. Uh, we, you got to cut your teeth on your <laughs> opponent's skull. And make sure you tell your opponent ahead of time, like, hey, we're just going to have a fun, friendly game. I don't want to bring anything too strong and just smash their teeth. And you want to be in and out of that game store in 15 minutes. And the best part of it is when you do these games, you want to make sure you take a lot of pictures. So when you're playing, bring a camera or use your phone. You're going to want to take a lot of pictures. The quality of your battle report, I believe, gives more points for your side for the entire campaign. So the better your reports, the better uh, like score, like you actually kind of get rewarded for it. And you definitely get more like XP and all that stuff. Like if you like inter- fancy internet points, as Derek likes to call them. So make sure you take the time to write down noteworthy events, at least, and take some pictures of like some key stuff. I know that when I was playing, once you kind of get into the game, it's easy to forget that you're that you should be taking pictures of it. But now that we've done a couple tournament report things where I've literally jotted down notes while we're playing in a tournament i don't think this is going to be very difficult i think the coolest battle reports are the ones that go full narrative and it's like from the perspective of a guy on the ground or whatever it looks like a battle report um like that would hit somebody's desk or something those are pretty cool to read just the presentation of facts can get a little boring you know because you're just like this happened and then this happened you don't really need to write down literally everything that happens just kind of hitting the high points you know, we don't need to know exactly how many orders it took for you to walk to the middle of the table, but you could say, oh, hey, he ran up and then the other person took the initiative and on his turn, he did this with the cutter that appeared at the other side of the table and killed all my cheerleaders. You know, stuff like that. You don't got to be too in depth, but you also don't want to be like too loose on it. You want to find that happy middle ground, the shatter ground. He ran up and then couldn't find and couldn't find the off button for five orders uh how do i make that how do i make that more uh narrative uh he forgot how to read and couldn't push the button 
It, I think it's always good to attribute that the enemy was smart enough to do something that stopped you from being able to do it. So instead of your doofus failing a whip roll 15 times, it was because there was a booby trap. There was an IED on the console and he was trying to get it off and it took him. So, you know, that's way more interesting than my guy. Literally, it's amazing that he doesn't kill himself when he's trying to sh- like sh- tie his shoelaces. So, yeah, keep that in mind, guys. Uh, make sure you have fun with it. Oh, uh, 12 is going to win. So you just might want to give up now. That'd be fine. Uh, tell C Army to get off. Get off my planet. Which is kind of fun because next episode, I'm going to kind of spoil it. We're actually going to talk about Song, which will uh, obviously tie right into the campaign. So I think that'll be a fun thing to talk about. Uh, I'm halfway through the book. I really enjoy it. It's going to be a pretty positive review, at least from my point of view. But we'll wait until next time. Uh, spoilers. Uh, I guess I have to be the negative one. Uh, I, will, I will harness all my internet rage. Don't worry, everyone. I will... I will find a way. I haven't played Infinity that long, but I will find a way that they ruined the lore that I deeply held held dear for the last year or so. I, <laughs> Six to seven months. I, I, did, I did enough Warhammer. Or I don't worry. I can I can pull I can pull the whinging out like the best of them. And then the other thing I want to make sure I add in in the preamble is I went down to Florida for literally a day because I was going to go to Crucible down in Orlando, Florida. The Infinity stuff was canceled, so I played MCP instead. It's a shame. I was excited to meet the Florida Infinity community, especially now that, you know, I've, I've been playing the game to a level where I feel like I'm not a dum-dum, not quite as bad, because that was the area I grew up, and that was a, I actually learned Infinity in that area, so it would have been fun to come back as a conquering hero and leave in Middleist like a, like a real man. I got 12th out of 18th at that MCP event, so that means I am the king of nerds, so you all should respect me. Anyway, so today, we're going to talk about 012. We're going to talk about 012, and very specifically, we're going to talk about Bureau, not Thought. (laughs) It's still not Thought. It's Toth. So, to put it into perspective, Toth started as a project. Now, Toth, like everything else in 012, or at least a lot of things in Infinity, there's a lot of things that are... So, who is Thoth? Thoth is a Greek god, so very similar to a lot of the other things that are happening in the Infinity universe. Many things are named after, like, Greek and Roman gods, or lots of like different things that are pulled out of mythology, like obviously the Trojan War with you know all the stuff from Aleph. Also bunnies, in the case of Aleph. I don't know where that comes from. I don't know if that's Greek related. If you hear dogs in the background, I apologize. I'm trying my best. So Thoth was actually the god of... He was an Egyptian god, actually, ironically enough. He was the scribe of the gods, and he was the god that actually invented writing, which directly relates to like hieroglyphics. And he was always depicted with the head of a bird, the fancy bird, a fancy Egyptian bird called a an ibis. I think is how you say it. I am not Egyptian, so if I mispronounce that, make fun of me. You won't. <laughs> I bet you won't. So I guess now that we kind of know who the uh, Toth is, the one of the things that's important to realize is that O12 is essentially the continuation of the line of the UN. So the UN in the real world, obviously, is called the United Nations. It was formed almost exactly right after World War II in San Francisco, I think. And it was formed in order to for countries on the planet to be able to solve issues without having to blow each other up with bombs, which was especially a thing then because at that point the nuke had been used. And there was like a lot of fear that obviously the superpowers were essentially going to be able to dominate the world map. Because little countries obviously can't stand up against the might, you know, to the might of like the United States or uh, the Soviet Union at the time. So this 
entity was created in order to be a diplomatic ground where people could essentially solve problems before they got into like really, really bad, bad situations and doomed humanity or whatever. Now, the difference here is that O12 is actually its own separate, like sovereign nation. That gives it a lot of leeway that obviously the UN doesn't because the power of the UN is literally limited by the support that countries give it in the real world. So the goal of O12 is to essentially be the glue that holds all of you humanity together. So when you look at the universe of infinity, obviously, you know, you got your Panos, you got your nomads, you got your Hawk Islams. All of them have varying ideologies that obviously can come into conflict because, you know, if you think about like uh, Pano is directly tied to the Catholic Church. And then you have Hak Islam, which is a new brand of Islam. And then I'm sure if humanity is going across the entire stars, I'm sure there's all different kinds of things that people worship and this and that. So there's obviously lots of different ideologies, especially when it comes to like capitalism and how that's supposed to work and yada, yada, and, you know, super corporations. And they're all going to start bickering at some point. So O12's goal is to essentially be the glue that holds it all together. I relate it to... When you think of something like the five rings, which is something in like the Japanese mythology, you know, like L5R ties to it pretty directly. Humans are essentially made up of the five elements, which are wind, fire, water, and earth. But void is essentially the thing that holds it all together. It's essentially the thing that's supposed to be like the human soul, I guess, if you want to think of it like that. So O12's goal is to be the idealistic idea, I guess if that's how you want to say it, they're supposed to be the idealism that holds humanity together so that they don't fight each other to the death and they can handle any problem that comes externally. Now, obviously, O12's whole thing is very humanistic. They say very recently, I'm pretty sure it was in Ensong, that they said that the strongest aspect of humanity is our ability to adapt to any kind of problem and we can overcome it as long as we're all working together. That's been proven throughout history that humans are very good at adapting to different things that change. Because when problems come up, generally speaking, as long as everybody's on board, we can solve so many problems. It's actually kind of crazy. O12 is held together by these things called the pillars. Now, the pillars very specifically are unity, cooperation, support, and progress. So when you go to O12 school, instead of doing like a, a declaration of independence, they study these four principles. And those, these are the things that all citizens of O12 are supposed to strive for, including the military which would be the sword for, which we'll, we'll probably get to here in a second. Whenever you think of O12 and living in it, most of the people that live there at the very beginning were actually citizens of other countries. Now, whether that's Pano or Nomads or whatever, they uh, did not start in the sovereign nation of O12. That has slowly been changing as the lore has slowly advanced forward. And it says very specifically that the bureaus and the offices that occupy O12's bureaucratic network are slowly becoming more and more native-born O12-vian. I'm not sure what the adjective term of that would be. But the population is still very very heavily, I guess you could say they're technically immigrants because they're all coming from different countries. But it's very much becoming a country in its own. Now, one of the things that the book, especially the RPG book, stipulates is that when you're at this kind of crossroads, it's interesting to see, is O12 going to maintain its idealism or is it going to eventually turn into a superpower in a way that they start more worrying about like, hey, we got our own problems we need to solve. We can't worry about other people's problems anymore. You really run into, you know, right now it's the Vatican. It all has to be immigrants, all people there who are like, I'm coming here for a reason to do a thing. And like you said, it's 
slowly changing to be, well, I now have this kind of national identity and things don't tend to go great when you start having a lot of those. Because the Infinity Universe is so interesting in the idea of like, again, it's bottled off the UN, but instead of it being made of a bunch of countries, all of them kind of took their hands off the, the trigger and we'll kind of talk about, you know, what trigger that is and said, we need one person that we all trust to hold on to it instead of all of our hands being on the button. We're going to give the button to one person. And I think that's a really interesting way to justify why the UN morphed into a like sovereign power. And maybe maybe we want to get into that uh, sooner or later of, you know, what uh, what that what that button is. What what is, what is that new nuclear button? So very specifically, the button that you're talking about is the giant mallet that exists right over Aleph's supercomputer home. So Bureau Toth is a part of the 12 Bureau network that essentially runs the O12 faction. The only faction of O12 that you actually see in the game is Sword 4, which is also known as Spantha, which is supposed to be a Roman. It's essentially the Roman Gladius in Latin. I think they call that a Spantha. Now, Sword 4 is essentially the police force and also the military of O12 because that that line is pretty it's pretty blurred line where law enforcement and military is in the O12 universe. Real quick, we'll I'll go through the actual bureaus. We're going to only talk about one of them, but if you're kind of curious about them, you can look into it. They're all actually kind of interesting. And again, they're all named after like Greek and Roman things. So there's Section Statera and Section Spantha. They're a part of Aegis. So Spantha is the punching fist. Statera is essentially the legal system. So they're very, very closely tied. So if you're causing trouble in the neighborhood, the lawyers are going to show up and be telling you, hey, relax, stop, stop breaking things. And if they're like, no, you're stupid, a gamma shoots you with a fear box and then you die. Those are your options. <laughs> Good luck. So Bureau Agni controls energy supply and distribution. Bureau Athena is the human rights department. It's a very actually like specific one. It's like a civil rights specific part of the government. Bureau Concilium, they're the ones that run the planet Concilium and also the free cities that are still on the planet Earth, which are places like Toronto and Jerusalem. They're actually independent cities and are not part of like separate little countries. There's Bureau Gaia, which is planetary. It's like terraforming. Bureau Ganesh, which is trade and economics. Bureau Hermes, which is all about space travel when it comes to like licenses and taking care of spaceports and all that. Bureau Lakshmi, which is all it's the doctor one. This one I actually very specifically read is very tied to Hakislam. They're very they're very friendly with each other and they share a lot of data. It does actually go into saying that Hakislam and Otov probably have the closest relationship because human progress is a part of the better learning system that Hakislam is always pushing. So that's actually kind of an interesting thing. Bureau Noir. Bureau Noir is essentially the Secret Service Intelligence Division. They are actually the characters you're supposed to play in the RPG. So when you play the RPG, you're actually technically working for O12, specifically Bureau Noir. Bureau Tyandi is the exploration one. I guess you, I guess they're kind of like the rogue traders of the Infinity Universe. And then the last bureau is the Trimurti, which is all about coordination and it's like the logistics version uh, portion of the government so they make sure things are where they're supposed to be they handle like social media and the pr department and all that stuff it should also be noted that starmada very specific i don't know if i said this before but starmada is very specifically aegis which is a part of sword four so starmada is the military branch that essentially is like the navy i suppose if you want to call it that for the space fleet that is for o12 so they can get places 
Yeah, and like you said, um, and again, kind of alluded to, all this happens because Aleph. Uh, all this exists because you have you have two two forms of that nuke. One is Aleph. You know, you don't want one country to have uh, more AI than the other country, so you give it to another party. But more importantly, you also have someone who has the mallet over Aleph to be like, eh, you know what? You said something a little bit too funny. Maybe EI got in there. We're just going to smash it. And if you had every single country had to have their hands on that button and had to make a decision, it could never happen fast enough. And Infinity really handles that idea of um, AI. And obviously, we're not going to go that that deep into the lore of Aleph, uh, but it really handles that idea really well. And I think actually one that could logically come in to to have this whole sector that's like, hey, you just you watch this computer, you watch this AI, and your job is to kind of like almost divine what it's trying to do so it's very ironically yeah that's that's probably the most difficult part of the bureau let's kind of go over the origins of it so as humanity was beginning to grow into the human sphere o12 realized that it was going to need a way to process the insane amounts of data that it was going to need in order to keep track of an entire like growing civilization that was essentially the human sphere so toth originally started as a project now the project was to create something that could handle that insane amount of information. Now, Toth is an Egyptian god. Now, he was the Egyptian god of writing, essentially, very uh, specifically, like, scribing. He was a scribe for the gods. Very commonly depicted with the head of an ibis, which was an uh, Egyptian birdie. He invented writing. So the idea behind using the code word Toth was kind of inspired because Aleph was going to essentially be the way humanity was going to learn how to write in the age of space travel and all that stuff, especially as they were colonizing the known universe, not the universe, well, the galaxy in this case. So in the late 20th and early 21st centuries, there was much experimentation in machine learning and deep learning. Iterating toward full artificial intelligence, artificial neural networks were created more capable and powerful with every attempt. But as the 21st century wore on, the governments of the time increased pressure on the scientists for results from the billions invested in scientific research as the world's economies dealt with energy crisis after energy crisis and a quickly changing geopolitical landscape. Eventually, the worldwide network was under so much strain that it collapsed causing a brief computer whiteout that had sudden and far-reaching implications. As the network was pulled back together, it became apparent that the need to find real scientific solutions was never going to be achieved by a single government or corporation, and Project Toth was born. Project Toth was a huge research and development project uh, program. International in scope, Project Toth aimed to link supercomputers around the globe, not simply as a network, but together as one gigantic layered processor a vast artificial neural network that could be expanded easily by the addition of more layers. So this probably started as a land party when people were getting together playing Age of Empires 2, if I had to guess. this is prob- That's probably how it started. So eventually, when they invented Aleph, this did eventually lead to Aleph, they passed, O12, passed the sole AI bill. Now, they built this legislation to stop other people from developing AIs. One, because AIs can be excessively destabling to the economy and a lot of, and just the way governments work, if it gets too widespread and especially if it comes deeply implemented. So the idea behind this was thinking if we make a and make it perfect, we don't need any other AIs. We can use pseudo AIs and all that to handle information processing, but we also need to stop other people from creating things that they don't know how to take care of because they don't have governmental oversight because that never goes wrong. Never. And it also means that Aleph needed to have some kind of failsafe 
Because if we're only going to have one AI, it better do it right. So eventually when they built Aleph, they made it so that if there was ever a point where they decided that Aleph was malevolent, they would essentially just destroy it. Again, it stipulates that the most difficult part of Toth, of now it's a bureau, so Bureau Toth eventually is, comes from this project. The most difficult part of it is to determine what Aleph is doing and why. Now, they say it's very difficult because, much like humans, we can only understand things that we personally have some kind of like knowledge of. So me, I understand, well, <laughs> this is going to be a weird example. I have ideas about Florida that no other person up here really ever really knows. They're just like, oh, I like Florida because it's warm. Well, I know Florida because of all the things that would, you know, like I grew up in Florida, so I know things about Florida that you don't know. So I can make decisions that about something I might do that you can't. But now we're just humans. So what if the one person making these decisions literally had billions of different data points slamming into it at every single moment of the day? Now, all of a sudden you have what could seem as a omnipotent being making decisions that you can't understand because you you can't fundamentally understand the amount of information that this thing has. It's kind of insane. I'm going to I'm going to jump in and try to wrangle your analogy a little bit more into what I think is more coherent. It would be we are a dog and they are a person. The brain is fundamentally wired different. I mean, we 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 have already hit neural nets that we're just like, yeah, we we don't we don't know how this very rudimentary AI how it's you know how it's performing because it just wires differently, and and to this extent you know I'd say you know Aleph like we are like dogs you know we're, we're we're smart we're intelligent but we fundamentally are not on the same rational level as as you know the, the human is you can't explain to your dog some like you know some of these concepts and you think about the world fundamentally differently like again to belabor the dog analogy like their sense of smell we. We just do not see the world in that way. We can't. We can't comprehend it, and there would be no way to ex- for them to explain it, or we us to explain how we comprehend the world. And Aleph really is that. It is just seeing the world because its senses are fundamentally different. Let alone being like more intelligent or, or not, its senses are so fundamentally different. And again, that's scary because the ability to miscommunicate is very, very high in that situation. And that, thi- and you know, Aleph in this situation is the ultimate atomic weapon. It controls so much. If it, you know, if you did not divine that, you know, it, it was starting to go bad, it could get bad very, very quickly. And especially because Aleph is so deeply integrated into literally the lifestyle of every single person in the human sphere other than the nomads. Yeah. You want to talk about if Aleph decided it really wanted to cause problems, I mean, there's no way they could stop it before it did something that could be catastrophic. And, and it's it's mentioned in Aleph lore that, you know, if like, hey, if Aleph ever got, you know, infected, involved intelligence, that's it. Game over. You know, they they have taken out your biggest your biggest weapon. And so Toth is, you know, we'll get a little bit down to later, but more about like the organization. But it is arguably maybe the most important thing O12 does. And they have to almost keep that a secret because the more that gets out, the more someone like Nomads or Combined Army, someone who really wants to take it out, would focus on that organization because it is the most important. But it's the one that has to be like, no, we're we're just bureaucrats. Don't worry about us. And ironically enough, Bureau Toth is the most well-funded bureau in O12. Spantha is the one literally right underneath it, but Bureau Aegis. So we literally spend more money on keeping Aleph running than we do with powering the military that's supposed to keep that's essentially supposed to literally be the like the galaxy police that's insane and that also extends to defending Aleph, keeping it under watch 
and uh, and uh, essentially maintaining M- Maya. So it also like helps power the internet, right? And so the money that they get from that can be either money generated by O12 itself through its own like taxations and all that, and blah blah blah. But it's also money donated to it by the hyperpowers. So between Eugene and Pano, the amount that they give actually will correspond with how much bandwidth they're allowed to have of Aleph in their own system. So ironically enough, they are all very interested in keeping it running, except for the nomads who very specifically stipulate that if any of their money touches Toth, they're going to be real upset. So they have to actually track every nomad dollar that gets sent to O12 because if it hits, if it hits Bureau Toth, they're going to get real upset. So the nomads are essentially funding the military, uh, the military arm of O12. You really want to think of it, the like anarchist nomads are like, hey, we're only going to fund the peacekeeping military. They can put boots on us, but I don't want no artificial boot on me. Damn right. <laughs> Live free. <laughs> it's kind of like uh, social energy. You just have to experience it. You got to gonk it. And we'll probably talk about that later. So Toph is constantly interrogating Aleph. They're like, hey, why'd you do that? Hey, why'd you do that? Hey, why'd you do that? And they've been doing everything they can to essentially track the growth and the evolution of the AI. So AIs are unique in that they can learn. They can draw conclusions of things that pseudo AIs and stuff like that can't really do. So they're constantly near this thing called the well. Now, the well is Aleph. It's essentially the computer that Aleph is sitting in. It's a very big computer, and it's locked deep, 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 deep inside of a continent that we'll get to here in a little bit. But the well is literally a place that Aleph sits, and it's placed in such a way that Aleph doesn't even know where it is. It kind of has a vague idea, but they've learned that obviously if they presented a situation for Aleph to come out and essentially just control its own fate, be like, okay, now humans don't get a say in what I'm doing. You know, they, he, Aleph decides, hey, Achilles, go to the well and murder all the O12 people and save me. Right now I'm in charge. I can do whatever I want. Aleph doesn't have any idea really where it is. Aleph also has no idea how much money Bureau uh, Toth gets. So it literally has no idea what it takes to keep her alive, her, it, whatever you want to call it. It also, in that situation, is an interesting uh, chafing of Toth probably knows that, you know, if you're if you're a living sentient being, which you could argue Aleph is, or at least is intelligent, it probably wants the keys to its own survival. So you're, you are definitely going to be running into that, uh, that tension, which makes sense why they're not letting it know how well funded Toth is, because you need to keep Aleph somewhat afraid that Toth might just be a bigger superpower than it, you know, than it would have to worry about. And so if it knew like, okay, Toth has, you know, let's say $10 billion or whatever, whatever it ends up being, it could calculate, okay, I know how much resources it, and manpower it could possibly have to throw against me if I do try to do it. And so my, my guess is that would be one of the main reasons why, you know, you keep it really in the dark, but it has to know it's in the dark. So one of the Interesting other aspects of Toth is that they're specifically supposed to be the bureau that controls rogue AIs. So let's just say me and you, hey, Brady, we're going to invent a rogue AI or a rogue, rogue AID. That's not what that's called at all. We're going to make a rogue AI. So we start doing it. We're getting fancy and all that. All of a sudden, the FBI meme happens. FBI, open up. And they kick down the door. And they And they start just start blasting. They just start blasting. Oh, my gosh. So whenever it comes to this stuff, they're also the... They're the human arm that's supposed to control the soul AI bill. Now, 
Alif also does this. That's what the SSS is technically. That's their job is they're supposed to go around and make sure that Alif is the only AI on the block because it has access to essentially it essentially is the Internet and you need the Internet to make AIs unless it's on its own closed circuit. So the, it is constantly looking for any kind of hint that there's a problem as far as rogue AIs or rogue post humans. Now, this could also be elements or aspects of the, as they call them. Aleph has aspects. So Aleph is kind of like the mom. The aspects are the little things that splinter off of it. And they're the ones that make personalities. I think a lot of the like Trojan heroes, they're aspects to me anyway, because they're the post-human project. Now, Achilles is in a weird way also sort of Aleph, right? Because it was kind of made from that same cloth. But the actual aspects are AIs are pseudo AIs. They're supposed to be pseudo AIs placed inside of a robot body. That's essentially what a diva is. That's what the divas are. That's what the Asura are. They're supposed to be aspects of Aleph. You could also probably make an argument that the Marut is also an aspect, but I wouldn't be surprised if that's actually more Aleph itself. Who knows, right? So they are supposed to travel around the galaxy, take care of these things before they become a problem and destabilize the human sphere. So Bureau Toth receives the lion's share of funding of all the bureaus, perhaps even more than all of the other bureaus combined. But the amount can only be guessed at. Not even Aleph is privy to knowledge about the extent, functions, personal quota, and the budgets of Bureau Toth. Some conspiracy theorists claim that Aleph uses its processing power to gamble, invest, and according to some wild claims, simply create its own fortune. As persistent as these rumors are, little evidence has been found to suggest that, that this is the case. The nomads refuse to allow any of the money they contribute to O12 to go towards support or funding the Bureau Toth. Part of their membership agreement states that the portion of the nomads' fees that would otherwise be appropriated to Bureau Toth is divided between Bureau's Athena and Tyandi uh, instead, which is human rights and the space travel one. So now, where is the well? Is that what I just heard you ask me, Brady? Hey, uh, hey, hey, Doctor D, uh, where, where is this well? You, you mentioned it was like in a continent or something, but Aleph doesn't know, so I don't know. None of your business. All right, so, <laughs> all right, so the well is located in the continent called Utgard. Now, Utgard is on Cal- Concilium Prime. This is some. I'm going to talk about it in a second, but this is something that passed through my head as I was reading this, as the as this campaign was happening. Utgard's on Concilium Prime. Sea Army is also on Concilium Prime. Nobody really has any idea where, other than Bureau Toth, nobody has any idea where Aleph is. They don't really know where the well is. It's a very well-kept secret. So it's interesting that if in the campaign that location were to open up, I wonder if that would change the story a little bit. I don't know if they'd do it, but I thought, man, you want to talk about something that would break up the status quo. Evil AI, Aleph. Ooh, spooky. Uh, don't don't I have I have a whole conspiracy of like where the story might be going that like they you know that CB could be really a kiting but I feel like I maybe should save it for next episode when we talk about Ensong but I really want to talk about it now so don't don't keep pushing me because I will just go on a weird rant sure so ta- uh, Toth specifically is finding rogue AIs I bet they have not destroyed all of them and I bet they're consolidating them I bet you need to make sure even with a soul AI that you actually have a backup especially with nomads and combined army that are probably always trying to destroy or corrupt Aleph. You also have Spiral Corps running around doing weird things in this area, and everyone cares about it. I have some suspicions that bad things are about to happen to combined army and Aleph, and O12 is about to make some really, really big decisions, 
and maybe we'll see a new faction. The funny thing is, is the Pano military orders, they do that. They capture those AIs and throw them in prison cells and they don't kill them. So Pano knights, uh, they hate AIs, but they have giant warehouses. I'm assuming it's like Raiders of the Lost Ark warehouse, just a bunch of boxes filled with angry robots slamming on the <laughs> slamming on the, the, the lids. I mean, we, we like how many nukes are still kicking around because it's just it's you still in theory you know you want that um mutually assured destruction you you know you want you know you don't want this weapon around but it's better if you have it in case you need it you never know all right so utgard utgard is a city built to look so natural that it appears almost preternatural my God. The sections of the city that are actually lived in and used are highly regimented. However, Utgard is, after all, the center of operations for Bureau Toth, the key nerve center for Aleph, and therefore the most strategically important location in all of the human sphere. The chambers that house the quantitronic macro processors, that sounds really big and fancy. Let's say, let's say it again real slow. Quantitronic macro processors. You got to love that. Say it again. That has the, <laughs> ooh, say it again. That could be referred to as the brain of Aleph are honeycombed into deep chambers driven deep into the rock beneath the surface. Built to withstand orbital bombardment, there is nowhere in the hemisphere as secure. The city, such as it is, is riddled with cameras and scanners and drones and soldiers are constantly on guard, are, are on duty guarding the mind beneath, as well as the hundreds of technicians, programmers, and engineers that service it. Extensive and thorough biosecurity systems are in place, and moving from one building into the vast chambers beneath the city can take an hour or more in processing and security checks alone. Once beneath the city proper, all clothing is removed. Chemical showers and more testing are followed by donning the special biological suits, all of it a complex web of precautions designed to protect Ayla from the slightest interference or danger. The shimmering sky above Jotunheim may be directly manipulated from Utgard, and the flow of encoded information is constant. Beyond the city itself, knowledge of Utgard is highly restricted. It is known publicly, if at all, as nothing more as the northernmost fishing town and occasional destination for geologists. O12 and Bureau Toth go to great lengths to maintain the public charade. So the interesting thing is that Shimmering Sky is controlled in this location. Shimmering Sky actually just got mostly destroyed in the campaign. Spoiler alert from Ensong. It is essentially a giant flock of nanobots that floats around in the sky that made Concilium Prime the paradise that it is. It was one of the big projects between O12 and I know that uh, Hakaslam had a lot to do with it because of all the terraforming. So it's really interesting that brother, that the big, yeah, I guess big brother sort of uh, big brother Bureau Toth also controls kind of like the climate of the planet as well as the AI that is buried deep, deep inside of it. I don't know. It's kind of interesting. So if you're in Utgard, it actually takes you an hour, not even fighting, right? This is if you go through the front door and you're not even sneaking in, it's going to take you hours to get through the front door in order to even find the area that would be even close to where Aleph is. I bet, very similar to the Manhattan Project, I bet there are people that work there that don't even know, like they may not even know fully what the building is for. I would almost guarantee that. Like maybe only the upper echelon really know. Everybody else is just kind of like, yeah, there's something here. Who knows? Maybe it's like where Maya is. An interesting, you know, potential theory is that also, you know, you were talking about people are starting to be born into O12 and like that's the only life they know. They would be great 
to work on something like Ukar, it's like, hey, you're gonna you're gonna live your entire life. You're gonna be born here. You're gonna die here. You're never even gonna know that we're a space. You may even not we're a spacefaring civilization. So if someone comes, if a speculo killer comes down and been like, hey, I'm gonna interrogate you, you're like, I literally have no like, you'd have no frame of reference to get information out. Or if Alif tried to trick you, you'd have no frame of reference to give that information up. And I would I would love to see them introduce a character, you know. Who like maybe spent their whole life on on or you know like with those little like novellas that they put out like like on Utgard and it's like I bet their knowledge would be really like you said the Manhattan they don't know what they're doing but they have like this deep knowledge of like the two tasks that they have to do and they make sure they do it perfectly because Toth made sure they do it right and I, I don't know that seems a little more dystopian that sounds like more of a forty k idea like maybe trapping a human in a cave maybe uh, I. I definitely tend to gravitate towards those kind of stories. So maybe that's, you know, where my head immediately goes when I hear this kind of media is like, you know, and, and Toth for me is very like black opsy is very like, if you wanted to interject some make O 12, you know, the morally gray, cause everything wants, they want every they don't want a good faction. Uh, it would be Toth's, you know, like, Hey, you completely immorally treat your citizens uh, because it's all about a And, you know, if, a hundred people, you know, lose their lives to keep it going. Well, that's a price. Yeah, CB. Let's grim it up a little. You, you bums. Brady T said that off mic. I saw him. I saw him say it. Yep. No, he got me. He he can read lips. So, in order to get information to, so obviously, Aleph, if you're going to hide Aleph in a deep hole, dark, <laughs> deep underground, there's got to be ways to get information in and out of it. There's obviously going to be a lot of uh, relays and all that. Now, in Utgard, the part, the well in itself is a, a very closed circuit. So any information that gets sent in it is very closely monitored. Now, all information in the hemisphere is sent through the re- the circulars. Now, the circulars are the giant space buses that go from planet to planet. They usually go in count- uh, counter-concentric rings. The one that is important to Bureau Toth is Asaheim. Asaheim is the gateway to the Concilium system. Almost every visitor that arrives in the system does so at the Asaheim orbital. Built in a great revolving ring around the Villa Booster through through which the circulars arrive, Asaheim is vast, dealing with both the incoming and outgoing population of visitors as well as the flow of trade goods and materials to the imported to be imported or exported out of the system. Nothing goes in and out towards these planets unless you go through a circular. The reason Asaheim matters is it's the last key section yeah, you're saying I'm too grimdark and oh wait, we'll read the next paragraph. <laughs> the reason that it matters is that this is where the guide is located. <laughs> so while externally indistinguishable indistinguishable from the outside, the Gavieldo, I think is how you say it, which means guide, I think in Spanish, I'm not sure, has a, a has no hardline connections with any other section of Asaheim. It generates all of its own power, has its own internal quantitronic network, and does not communicate with the rest of the station. It also maintains its own accommodations, food, and limited entertainment for the personnel who are stationed there. They may be stationed there for their entire life, trapped in a cave. And if they ever decide that they want to leave, they just get thrown out the airlock. When Miss Frizzle brings you on a field trip, sometimes you get locked forever into uh, helping Utgard and Alif. That's not it. That's not actually in this at all. Uh, actually, Brady put that in there. Please send help. The Givieldo is run by Bureau Toth and Alif. Here, fundamental updates to Aleph are parsed from external signals and relayed to Concilium Prima. Also, signals are received from the communications arrays of Utgard and sent via a number of means to the rest of the human sphere. If Utgard can be seen as the home and the brain 
of Aleph, the Gavieldo must therefore be the first link to the chain that makes up its nervous system. Heavily guarded, seemingly insufficient, insignificant, and known only to a few, the Gavieldo is one of the most important locations in the concilium system. So the, the circulars are way more important than just being buses. Obviously, the transfer of data from a galaxy-spanning empire, that is the human sphere, much more important than somebody who has to get a work on time, uh, who, I don't know, has to go, like, be an accountant on a different planet. <laughs> Not quite as important as that. So the Gavieldo is very important due to the fact that it is kind of the only outside link that gets straight into Utgard without having to go through a heavily armored door. And this is the thing that processes all of the updates that are going to happen to Aleph electronically. Oh, they're going to say quantitronic because we've said that word. And every time I hear it, I'm just like, I just want to try to say that five times fast. I'll do it at the end of the podcast. At the end of the podcast, stick around. I'm going to try to say it five times fast. It's very important. And then she's like, oh man, I'm not going to go anywhere with this. Bureau Noir is the special force intelligence service for O12 and are very frequent. They very frequently work with Toth in order to hunt down the rogue AIs. And this includes either Maya or Arachne. I swear we're innocent. We don't have it. Oh, no. I mentioned that AI we were building earlier. FBI, open up. (laughs) For your lives. I didn't see nothing. So although the Bureau operates as an individual entity, it is common for it to assist other O12 bureaus in their own network. This is in reference to Toth, by the way. This assistance is vital support to the bureaus who rely on Bureau Noir to provide vital information. Aegis requires information out of their usual reach in areas outside the jurisdiction of O12, and Tiandi often taps into this external information in their tracking missions. Agni requires close eyes on the energy barons of the human sphere and a closer eye on communications. Athena needs operatives to assert into undercover operations to ensure their fair treatment of ethnic groups. Gaia needs planted agents to monitor the black markets for any poaching of endangered species. Ganesh requires a similar service with Noir agents monitoring illegal trade to help trace back to the source in addition to illegal resurrection facilities. I'm sorry, that was in reference to uh, Bureau Noir. Toth maintains a number of Noir operatives, very specifically, to scour illegal AI development circles on Maya and Arachne. Termurdi especially requires wet work assistance in the recovery of classified bureau information, and the two organizations work very closely together. So not only does Toth have to protect all these things, all these super important things, that's Aleph and just the way that Aleph communicates, it also has to leave home every once in a while to go find a robot that thinks it's a that thinks it's a real boy and blow its head off. That's a stressful life. So for the most part, that is what we could find on Toth. There's obviously no like end to the story, right? Because the story keeps going. So we'll see if anything develops from Toth. Good old Arachne is good old Aleph has to be kept in check. If it starts getting out of hand, they need to smash her real good underneath the inside the giant uh, continent cave that is Utgard. But I figured since we were in this area, we would talk about one of the most important parts of the Quantronic defense that O12 has to put up. Now, in Bureau Aegis, now I imagine these guys are probably also involved with Bureau Toth quite a bit. It's the Cyber Ghost Division. So between keeping Maya safe, Arachne in line, whoa, and an eye on local data spheres, the Quantronic side of the human sphere is even more sprawling, layered in dangerous it's even more sprawling, layered, and dangerous than the physical side. Hoping that hackers will stick to the rules is dangerously naive. Policing cybercrime requires operatives who are the equal or superior of their quarry in every meaningful way. Enter the Cyber Ghost, Bureau Aegis's Quantitronic Intervention Unit. Ghosts are door kickers. FBI, open up! 
So they're the door kickers in the physical world as well as the virtual one, providing Quantitronic support to O12 inter- agents, hunting enemy hackers, and generally diving face first into the ugliest, roughest Quantitronic zones in the human sphere, slinging their Quantitronic swords with the same lethal precision as their physical counterparts. I should note that Cyber Ghosts are BS11 <laughs> in, the, in the model game. They are also Fizz like 10. They're going to hurt their knee if they try to kick down a door. Those poor little guys. Yeah, th- th- this makes them sound way more scary than they really are. Uh, in the cyber game, if you're playing Infowar stuff in the model game, cyber ghosts are amazing. They're fantastic. BTS 6, mm, gotta love it. You can get them as hacking device plus or killer hacking device. I could see an argument made for both. Their price is really, really good. It's nice and clean. But brother, let me tell you, I love me a good cyber ghost. It's very rare that I don't bring one when I play O12. Something I do love whenever you read unit descriptions in any game, they always hype them up to be these like big badasses. And then you look at the stats and just like, oh, you're just some fucking idiot. <laughs> like, what are you doing here? So one of the other really cool things about Cyber Ghost is that they have stealth. So you can actually, if for some reason you really feel the secret agent hacker man, because he has stealth, it does mean that you can go through repeaters and not get hacked. So that's kind of cool unless they have six cents. It could come up, I guess. I don't know. They're not. I mean, they're whip 14 hackers. They're pretty good, but they're not winning, you know, fights. They do have a bonk stick. I'm not sure if you've seen the model. They have the bonkiest of sticks. Yeah, you look that up. That's what I thought. So while you're looking that up. They very specifically have a program that O12 developed called the Link Sword. So the preferred weapon of Cyber Ghosts from the Bureau Aegis's Quantitronic Intervention Unit, the Link Sword's damage increases with the skill of the hacker. So in the RPG, the better you are at hacking, this thing is real disgusting. It's essentially like a giant sword strike that you do in the Information War. Uh, That is... What do you think of the model? He is very, very proud of his stick. He's like, yo... Look at my stick. I'm going to fucking bonk you. I'm going to bonk you in the face. I'm going to bonk you. You go into horny jail. It's a para CC weapon at minus three, bro, with his CC of 14. Is it? I'm assuming it's an EM CC weapon. It's No, it's just para. It's not. It's, it's a taser stick. But that's like the best part about EMC weapons. They're like, oh, hey, I'm going to I'm gonna shock you and just beat the living shit out of you with this bat I have. No, you just fall asleep. The model's cool. The model's cool. He's a cop. He's a cop. It's a guy. <laughs> Yeah, because co- yeah, you know, I'll keep no. it not political. I'll keep it not political. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Keeping it uh, decisive here on uh, Arachne. So a vast majority of the crimes committed in the human sphere are carried out in the Quantitronic world, an effusive layer of data that extends across human space like another dimension. The Quantitronic networks of which Maya and Arachne, hey, that's us, name drop, are only the most visible parts. Hold side out. <laughs> holds oh my god i can't even read i'm giggling too much hides hold side alleys where deals are done and doors that lead to the most sensitive personnel personal and national secrets in the sphere all of this needs protection of course but more than a simple more than being simple guardians cyber ghosts are expert hunters prowling quantitronic space with ruthless efficacy for illegal activity and the hackers who try to pull it off whether tracking the transfer of wealth peeling back layer upon layer of shell corporations to find the faces behind the masks or pinpointing and attacking hackers trying to crack and steal state secrets. Cyber ghosts are O12's weapon of choice in this dizzying theater of operation. I would love if CB could find any way to actually introduce the, um, that like level of the quanti- the quantitronic world. Uh, I guess you kind of have that with, uh, you know, with Cybermask or other things that, you know, you can do. But 
I know it'd be it'd be interesting to have a model, you know, instead of going into uh, camouflage or cyber mass, like no, I have this model has touched a relay. It is now in a quantum, you know, in the quantitronic realm, and is going to travel. Maybe it like doubles or triples your move, but you cannot interact with anything. And you know, you touch another point and come out of it. You could, you know, you'd have to build it into a into a map style. But I know whenever I read about it and and see it and you know, the idea that you'll see it a lot in the role-playing games. It's like, oh, that's such a cool mechanic that I don't think they have any amount of import from the RPGs into into the, the tabletop war game. I'm amazed that they haven't made, like, a board game where you do, like, what the Infomore might actually look like. When I ran, because I ran Shadowrun for a while, the problem with having a Quantitronic or the Infowar aspect of a lot of these cyberpunky type games is that if you want the hacker to be involved, it's almost like an entirely separate game where the rest of the party really can't be involved. Like if you have a face character, he may not be great at fighting, but if everybody gets into a gunfight, he can still kind of shoot a gun. The hacker, when he goes in there, really nobody can help him. The other people just have to essentially protect the meat while his brain is running around in cyberspace. So I'm actually kind of, I'm, I'm surprised they haven't made a kind of board game, like an Aristea. Where it's like, oh yeah, you know, Aleph is hunting down in this rogue AI. At one of the LARPs I had done, we actually had solved that. You can go into you would go into spirits, and spirits can only hurt other spirits. Unless you learned a way to make a sword that could also stab spirits. And then the spirit would look at you really sad, and you could obviously introduce something like that in this where you know, like you said, oh, then the cyborg like can't help you. It's like, well, why why can't you? Like, hey, here's a gun. Shoot it roughly in the like you know roughly in the sky. It, the bullets will go into the quantitronic realm, and they'll and they'll shoot something. I don't know. Mumbo jumbo it up. These bullets are <laughs> these bullets are powered Put by Fort the Chan in a gun. <laughs> Put it in a gun. Shoot them with it. <laughs> so when people do so when you're playing the game and you do killer hacking devices, I'm pretty sure that. The actual deadly aspect of it is you are targeting the the part of the hacking device in the person's brain, and you're like shocking them to death. You're you're showing them like a bunch of 4chan all at once, and they just right. die of cringe. All of the old like '90s <laughs> terrible memes, you know, like blue blue waffle and stuff like that. <laughs> it's just getting rammed into your brain at like light speed. You're like, please make it stop. Please, I'll just die. It's better. It's the, the it's the um, the meme guy where he's just like, I guess I'll just die. <laughs> just his brain slowly melting to the picture of a uh, blue waffle. Man, what a world we live in. We're in theory a PG That's a ter- podcast. Terrible way to go. Hey, listen, podcast. blue waffle's not even that bad with in comparison to some of the other things that came out of the you know that like late nineties two thousand internet. It's probably even worse now. The internet's a dangerous place, ladies and gentlemen. Hide your kids. All right, so that's it. That's Bureau Toth. Like I said, that was all the information we could find on it. Surprisingly, not a whole lot. I even very specifically attempted to find army profiles that were directly Bureau Toth. Cyber Ghost was the closest I think I could really get. For the longest time, I thought that Team Cyrus was also Toth because it uh, is like the hacking, like hunter team or whatever it is. Like I'm pretty sure they're supposed to be the ones that like hunt people down. So, I mean, I'm sure that a lot of those profiles are, they assist Bureau Toth, but as far as I'm aware, the only models in the game, or I'm sorry, the only Bureau that's in the game model-wise is Spantha, or Aegis, however, what do you want to call it? 
Which would make sense. From my memory, O12 is the newest. I know, um, Spir- uh, not Spiral, um, you know, they have the newest sectorial. So there's a lot of room for CB to add in a sectorial or add in just a few extra models. I mean, who doesn't want to see Bureau Agni? A bunch of people, a bunch of angry engineers, like hitting power plants. Man, I gotta get this factory working. These damn CIMLA shooting at us. Gotta get them, boys. <laughs> gotta build us a generator. <laughs> All right, so I want to get into close combat with your model. Uh, it has D-charges. Wait, he has D-charges? Yeah, everyone has D-charges. That, the entire... The engineers, it's all D-charges. It's like a sectorial special rule. <laughs> Every single model has a D-charge. They're all CC-10. Attack <laughs> at your own you? risk. You're dead. <laughs> oh, no, they're D-charges plus one damage. Oh, or or continuous great. damage. Because Agni is the forge god in, in Greek mythology. I don't even want to think of continuous damage D-charges. Oh, God. Somebody's going to correct me. I'm looking it up right now. Audience, I'm sorry. While you're you're looking it up, Quantitronic, 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 Quantitronic. He's the god of fire. He's the god of fire. Not the force god. That's That's Hephaestus. I'm sorry. I was thinking of Hephaestus. You're probably thinking of the Roman god. Completely different god. We're going to get into a lot of trouble. We're going to have all the angry mythological people. Anyway, so this episode was kind of disjointed and a little weird. Uh, like I said, I thought there was going to be more information on Bureau Toth when I originally pitched this idea to Brady. It's interesting. I really, really wish that there was more information on how O12 functions other than just the RPG book because it leaves pretty big, wide open gaps. I do agree it is the newest sectorial, but O12 has always been mentioned, even in N2. So I originally thought that Pano was O12 when I first started. Obviously, I've learned a lot since then. But I was thinking, oh, these guys are the ones that wear the blue armor. That must mean they're the they're the space police people. Nah, wasn't the case. It is interesting to me because the way Infinity has kind of done their lore, you tend to have a lot of lore concentrated in you know something like Alif, Bind Army, in Nomads, in Pano. So you have these you know these factions, Hak Islam, O12, that they have a lot of interesting lore, but a lot of it is hard to talk about that isn't just in relation to something else. And so that's like I said, it's not a this is not an Alif video, but we're going to like the main thrust of this was all of how does Toth deal with Alif? So it really is like you know it's an O12 faction. But it really is like lore-wise a subsection of Alif if you wanted to like you know categorize it. I think that is a good thing for the cohesiveness of Infinity lore, but also can be a little bit disappointing if like you you find the one thing you love and you're like oh I just want to do that where you can like do that in like Warhammer where they're like hey every every color of Space Marine armor is going to get their special book and you get to read it and feel cool and special about your like you know your pink painted armor or whatever you know whatever you did in Warhammer where. Infinity doesn't do that. Infinity's like, no, this is a living, breathing world. And if you really care about Toth, Toth is a Toth fundamentally is about Alif, is about the relationship between O12 and Alif. You're not really going to get anything special from O12. You may learn some interesting things about Alif because that relationship is better explored. Correct. And at some point, we're going to talk about Alif. We're going to have an Alif episode. I guarantee you Toth's going to come up. They're inextricably linked. You cannot have one without the other. Literally. I'm sure if, I'm sure if the Bureau of Toth disappeared, the, the Mal would probably fall down. And crush that server. It's a it's a big mallet. It's a quantitronic mallet. Oh, it's a mallet powered by the internet. Quantitronic <laughs> episode. Woo. All right, ladies and gentlemen, if your brains haven't melted out of your ears from all the awesome stuff you just learned today in the quantitronic realm, 
My goodness. All right. Brady, is there any parting thoughts that you would like to provide? No, I, I, I've gotten most of my stuff out. Uh, I, I think Toth is really interesting. Uh, I think Aleph is really interesting. And O12 is a lot more interesting than I thought it was going to be in general. I meme on them of being just, you know, Ungo Bungo Space Police. But they did a really good job of really embracing and adding a lot more depth to O12 that is easy to ignore when making Ungo Bungo Space Police jokes. And I think a lot of the factions probably have to deal with that. Because even when we did the ISS, I learned a lot about the Yujing like legal system that I had obviously no idea about the depth of infinity lore. And I, I, th- I think we've talked about this on another episode. It's kind of a shame that it's so well insulated from the game itself. Like you were even saying, and I guess the GW's credit, when you buy like a codex, you're just inundated with so much more like very distilled information that you don't really get for infinity until we have the RPG books. And I love the RPG books. Modivius's writing, intertwined with the lore that is that comes out of CB itself. Really fun to read. I definitely recommend it. If you play one of the factions or even remotely interested, you should definitely read the books. Spoiler alert, again, I was reading Ensong in order for, for the next episode, and I read the Hakislam part of it. Brother, if you were to sit me down against Jake and he's like, yeah, this is my Farzan, and, the, and I'm like, I don't know who any of these people are. I don't know how to pronounce any of these words. I don't know what any of it means. I don't really care. You know, just tell me if there's a rule I need to know about, blah, blah, blah. Now that I've read the rules, like, you know why it is that characters have the certain stats that they get. I'm probably going to bring this up again in the next episode because it is pretty important. Like a Boktar. Boktars are people that literally drink something so that they die. They literally die. And then they die for just a specific amount of time where the chemistry in their brain changes. And then that same drink brings them back to life. You know how they explain that in the game? They have courage. <laughs> it's like they are literally fearless because they've literally died. <laughs> they have courage. So now, especially the Farzan. So the Farzan are essentially like the teachers, right? Now we're talking about Hoxlum. But in my brain, now that I like know the lore of the cyber ghost, I now understand why it has BTS six. It's because they're literally the like the the thin blue line between cybercrime and it getting to like the innocent people of the human sphere. Now I understand that. I probably won't forget it, which I do forget sometimes. I always think it is BTS three for some reason. Whip 14 because they're great hackers. They're really, really good. Not as good as, you know, like Kappas aren't as good at hacking because that's, you know, that's like not their specific division. Anyway, the long winded point I'm getting to is that if you're interested and you always seem to be having trouble, like remembering who is who, it might be a really cool idea to read the lore because all of a sudden your brain is able to like latch on to different things. And that's a great way to learn like a new skill. So if you want to learn how to, I don't know, write music, let's just say if you love playing guitar, it's probably a good idea to also learn how to sing or how to do drums, because then all of a sudden you're going to be able to do guitar even better because now you have multiple access points of like getting to the end of like whatever it is you're trying to achieve. Does that make sense? No, not gonna lie, when you said sing, and then the next thing was uh, a word starting with dr, I really thought you were gonna say drugs, uh, and I was like, sure. okay, yeah, sure, sure, makes sense. That's the rock and roll lifestyle. Right I'm like, oh, that that makes a lot more sense to be like in a practical sense. But no, it makes it makes total sense. I actually think there's a whole episode uh, that you're talking about right now, and people want to hear it. Uh, of you know, does lore matter in in wargaming? Uh, I think that's like a topic I've seen float around, and. and you know, I'm on one side, uh, you know, I'm pretty adamant on, I actually really like the lore. It makes me invest in models, but that's a whole separate uh, episode that I think we, we probably want to do. Cause I, I think we both have some interesting ideas on that. 
Now, I, I think it comes down to the whole Jimmy, Johnny, or what's that? What are the three people? Uh, that play Jimmy, games? Jimmy, Johnny, Spike, and then there's and two Spike, others, yeah. but like the two others are really minor. We um, don't care about them. Well, I think actually we do because one of them is about like lore and collecting and such. But like again, don't. nerd. Uh, Jimmy. Nerd. <laughs> Mark Mark Rosewater is a is a treasure, uh, and if you haven't read Mark Rosewater's articles, like literally one of the best game designers out there. Uh, I'm going to push my nerd glasses up a little bit higher. Um, <laughs> nerd. Yeah, so, it's good stuff. He's a great game designer. We're great podcasters, but sometimes we do get things wrong. Uh, and we got something yeah. wrong last episode, uh, and it was pointed out to us on the Facebook. Great job. We're really glad when people tell us that we're wrong. Yep. Um, the the QAZ zones, uh, you can't put them. Uh, they have to be on a surface that is of their size or larger. Uh, so if there's any terrain in there, they can't go there. Uh, so you can't put it on a console. Like we were implying, like, oh, maybe you could just put it on a console and make it make it even worse to push that button and make it even worse when you fail it five goddamn times in a row. Uh, you can obviously put it, you can put it very close to it. Yes, you can put it very close. It just can't overlap. And the person also mentioned, which is interesting to know, you can't have two uh, QAZ zones on top of each other. They have to be separate. Uh, and this is also a good point where some people talk about really dense boards being very good, and I agree, but you do have to make sure, like, you know, hey, make sure there's spaces in all in most areas where a tag could walk through, you know, where you get a 40 millimeter base or so. This is kind of that same idea as you may need to have areas where you could put a quantum anom- anomaly zone that isn't like, well, I guess there is maybe this spot in like this one corner, but it's like, well, we got to place like two of these down. And it's like, well, uh, I don't know well, what to do. Except your BTS 10 damage overlords. Praise. Two, actually two of them. If you don't have uh, the, the terrain skills, because you got to stop when you touch it and then you got to walk, then you actually got to walk through it. Take two tens. Mm, feels good. Feels good, I, I know I'm gonna like I'm gonna lose strip wounds off a tag when I walk through. And I, I complained about this last time, and I know it's gonna happen. And I'm gonna be so mad. I'm but do you so know? Mad. Do you know who's not gonna get hurt? Cyberghost because he's BTS six. I know that because I read the Lord. We did it again, Brady. We finished an episode. <laughs> 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 we finished an episode, buddy. Hooray! We did it. Should uh should people rate? People should probably start with this episode. Send it to their friends. Definitely give this episode a five star review. This was probably one of our most focused, coherent episodes we've ever had. Absolutely, so five stars. Let's just say, if you don't give us five stars, I'm going to send Bureau Toth after you, and I'm going to say that you're a rogue AI. So next time you go up to the door, you're going to hear the FBI open up. FBI <laughs> open up. <laughs> So, yeah, guys, if you could give us a five-star review for this amazing episode, uh, yeah, please, please do. We absolutely adore it. We do read them. The best part about it is that it does help us spread the word of Arachne. Uh, the numbers keep going up. More and more people are reaching out to me, which is pretty cool. And, hey, who doesn't want to learn more about the lore? I was even talking to Devin from Metachemistry about it, and we were actually – he. I asked him a couple questions like, hey, like, what – how does it? How does a speculo killer get their form? Right, because neither one of us don't really have any idea. And we started talking about scrolls and stuff. Anyway, the point I'm getting to is, if you learn the lore, you can have these goofy conversations with people, and you can make you can make some friends, and then you guys can go eat ice cream together. Where uh, where can they talk to? Uh, where can they reach out to you to go? You know, invites for ice cream or invites to beach pizza or anything you may want. I hate you. If you want to eat ice cream and definitely not the other thing with Doctor D, you can reach me at Doctor D or at FuryPainting at gmail.com. 
You can find me, Brady T, on Discord at Brady T. We'll eat all the beach pizza together. Do not do this with this man. Don't. Don't let him get he he can't keep getting away with this. We would also like to thank all the people in the background that help us keep this podcast running. Kara for doing all the editing and Tim for running the network. And I guess there's a discord that we're all on. If you really want to get on, it's called Someday Night Gaming, where you can talk about the stupid pizza thing that will just not end. <laughs> Thanks for listening, Nomads. Make sure you keep it popping out there. And don't and actually don't let Bureau Toff get you. It's never too late to embrace all the intelligence. Thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed this show, check out all the other great shows here at the Professional Casual Network. Like what, Danny? I'll tell you. On Mondays, we've got the Lost Omens podcast, our Pathfinder 2E actual play, hosted by me, playing through the Extinction Curse AP. Also, streaming on twitch.tv slash professional casual network at 7 p.m. Eastern time, you can check out, oh yeah, the Power Phase, our Marvel Crisis Protocol live battle report show. On Tuesdays, the podcast version of, wait, did I roll a wild? Our Marvel Crisis Protocol Povlog is available. On Wednesdays, alternating releases on the Patreon, we have Settling the Southlands, our homebrew Wolforp actual play, and The Slithering, a Pathfinder second edition actual play. And on Thursdays, live at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on twitch.tv slash professional casual network, we've got, wait, did I roll a wild, our Marvel Crisis Protocol povlog. You can also check out back episodes of Elite Eight Showdown and the first 39 episodes of the Lost Omens podcast, the first 24 episodes of Settling the Southlands, and the first handful of episodes of The Slithering on the YouTube at youtube.com slash the professional casual.